There was a great psalm I was reading this morning, thinking about all the rain coming. It says, Psalm 65:10, talking about the stream of water from God. Thou dost prepare their grain, for thou dost prepare the earth. Thou dost water its furrows abundantly. I always think about how the Lord provides, doesn't he? It's so marvelous to see the rain and it's a reminder of his constant provision for us always, always. Welcome, happy Mother's Day. God bless all of our mothers. God bless all of your love and your heart and all you've given to us. And uh, so it's a wonderful day to celebrate our mothers. Why don't we begin in prayer and then we're gonna dive into the book of James again. Lord, we're so grateful to come to you again this morning to come to you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, to come as the body of Christ together. And Lord God, to come and worship you, to praise you. Lord, to encourage one another in the faith. And Lord, to study and to learn. God, we thank you for the book of James. Oh God, thank you for the wisdom you gave us. Thank you for the theology, the application of truth all that you give us <clears throat> through the book of James. God, help us as we learn this morning about temptation and help us to learn as we learn about your good gifts, Lord. Encourage us, make us strong and make us like Christ. And it's in his holy name we pray, amen. Well, we're back in James chapter one this morning. And this morning we're gonna cover verses 13, through 18. We're going to talk about how those tie into the verses that we've been studying previously. So if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to James chapter 1. Actually, I'm going to start in verse 12 because we're going to kind of tie verse 12 into verses 13 through 18. So Ben taught this last Sunday. Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brethren, my beloved brethren. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the, <clears throat> pardon me, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. So there's a lot of things we're gonna learn this morning in these verses. And uh, some of these things, I've, if you've got your outline, I've got written down in the main teaching points, but I want you to know some of the things we're gonna learn and we're gonna talk about. We're gonna talk about this relationship between trials and temptations, because this passage focuses on temptations but it naturally flows out of James's long discussion on trials. 
We're going to talk about the source of temptation. Where, do, where does temptation come from? Does it come from God? Does it come from us? We're going to talk about the cycle of yielding to temptation, that pathway that leads to sin once we succumb to temptation. We're also going to talk about God's good gifts, the last few verses of this passage, all that God gives us that we might and should resist temptation and follow Christ. We're going to talk about a lot of theology today. You know, as I've been thinking about James the last few weeks, this thought went through my mind. If, if the Lord granted us this great dispensation that we could have James and Paul here for just 10 minutes, you know, we could come and talk with them. I kind of wonder who would we be talking with the most? Who might be lonesome? I, I kind of think it might be James. We might tend to flock around Paul because of all the theology we want to discuss with Paul. We want to discuss all the finer points of theology and so forth. But you have to understand, James is profoundly theological. As I've begun to dig and think and meditate through James, even in this passage, you're going to understand how profoundly theological James is. The root of everything he teaches in this book is based in his understanding and the doctrines of God and the Christ that he grew up with. So it is deeply theological. And not only that, James is deeply practical. James teaches us how to apply that theology and live out the Christian life. And we're gonna see that so much in today's passage. So there is this relationship between trials and temptations. So let's talk about that just a little bit before we dive into verse 13. So it's interesting because even in the Greek text, the word that's used for trials and temptations is basically related. It's the same as they say cognate, but it's the same root basically. So there's some degree of of context, but it's clear they're different and they have different meanings. So James is moving from the discussion of trials and into temptations today. Well, let's talk about trials just for a moment because I know Ben taught that and Wade has been teaching you about trials, but Where do trials come from? Generally, we talk about inner and outer. When we think about trials, generally, where do our trials come from? Drew. Well, I I was gonna say trials tend maybe come more from outside, do you think? So, it's okay. (laughs) That's right, but you know what? I'm gonna help you out here a minute because Outer trials can become inner trials, and that's a, that's a thing we have to keep in mind. When I think about trials, I often think about circumstances and things that come upon us, right? Like, what can be some of those external circumstances? I'm helping you out here. What can be some of those external circumstances that come on us that we call trials? I heard work. Yeah, work can be a trial. Health, health is a big trial. Children can be a trial, that's right. Finances, all of these things can be great trials that come upon us. And as Drew was saying, they can sometimes then become inner sources of trial. As anxiety takes hold, as fear takes hold, as all of those things come, they can become inner within us. So. James uses a word a lot in those first 12 verses about how we ought to endure, how well there it is, the teacher just spills the beans, right? But endure trials, right? So that's how we approach those outer 
trials is that we endure them, or another good word is we persevere, right, in trials. We persevere through trials because what is the, what is the goal of trials? And I know Ben covered this last week, but what is, what is the outcome of, if you succeed, if you're godly, if you trust in the promises of God, what's the reward? I have, to, I have to call on you, Ben. You taught it last week. The crown of life. That's right. Ultimately, we become like Christ. Isn't that right? That's why God puts us through trials. You know, we kind of worry if we don't go through trials, right? We expect trials. That's the norm because it comes from a good and gracious hand of God that he might make us like his son, right? Look at the book of Hebrews. Look at, uh, we're going to see, as Dusty leads us through it, all the trials that the saints of old have gone through. Look at the trials he put Moses through. Look at the trials he put Abraham through. Ask Abraham to sacrifice his own son. David, David passed most of the trials. David failed. One of the big trials we're going to talk about today Daniel went through great trials, being separated from his people, taken into captivity. And Joseph, look at the trials that Joseph went through. So this is just the pattern of life that God puts us through the trials, that we might learn to persevere and we might gain the crown of life, that is, in the resurrection, in the life to come. So there's reward in persevering through trials. But let's talk a little bit about temptations. Drew, you're on. Where do temptations come from? Inside, <laughs> that's right, yes. I get to pick on him, because so, he's an affable person, right? <laughs> but when we talk about trials coming from outside often, all the things we just talked about, we talk about temptation coming from inside because there's a different, different principle in operation when it comes to temptation, and that is that is, it's rooted in evil, it's rooted in sin, it's rooted in the old man, it's rooted in, as James is going to say in this passage today, it's rooted in our fleshly desires, the lusts that are within us. And that's very different than the trials. So, if trials we persevere and endure through, how do we approach temptations? What should we do with temptations? Do we try to just live through them and endure them? What was Joseph's approach? We flee temptations. We resist temptations. We fight temptations, right? With all of our might, with the power of God, we fight temptations. It's quite the contrast. So there is this relationship again between trials and temptations. And Wade touched on this a few weeks ago. You remember this, Wade. But Wade kind of touched on this a few weeks ago, that our trials sometimes may lead to what? The temptations. Yeah, our trials sometimes, our trials weaken us, right? Sometimes we just get worn out and weary physically and spiritually, and then the temptations come because we're susceptible to those fleshly desires, we're susceptible to those things within us, and also there is a tempter, right? There is Satan. There is, he is out there. He is out there and he knows our weaknesses. And if we're not strong in the Lord, if we don't do the things that James is going to teach us today, we're susceptible to falling into those temptations. So, James is going to lead us now into this section, James 13. And James is going to begin this section with an imperative. That is basically something, a warning, a command to us. 
Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So James starts out with this important warning. Let no one say, we should never say, I'm being tempted. It's just coming from God, right? Because when we see God as the source of our sin, we've been terribly deceived. We've fallen into the temptation. We've forsaken his promises and his character. You ever think about that, how you might fall into that trap? This goes long back to the beginning of history, doesn't it? Turn over to Genesis 3 with me, and let's look at verse 12. The temptation, what a word to use, the temptation to blame God goes way back to the beginning. It goes back to the first sin. So we remember, right, that Adam and Eve were created perfect. They were created without sin. They were perfect man, perfect woman in a perfect environment. It couldn't have been any better. The Lord, there were no defects or flaws that God created Adam and Eve with. But Eve fell. And let me back up and and I'll start in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of thee in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me from the tree and I ate. So what is Adam doing? He's blaming God. I think most of us men would say, whoa, Adam, hang on there just a minute. You don't want God to take her back, right? (laughs) She's a whole lot better than the bears and the gorillas and all the other animals out there that you created in the garden. So we we might be saying, whoa, Adam, you need to think about what you're saying here. But, but But Adam blamed God. So this, this temptation that is, To blame our sins and our failures goes way back to the Garden of Eden. Once they they fell, sin dwelled within them. And those fleshly desires and lusts dwelt now within Adam and Eve. They realized they were naked before God and they were ashamed. They had never experienced that before. But now that this dwells within them, now they're beginning to blame God for their sins. So it goes, this temptation to blame God goes way back to the the very beginning. So let me just talk about how we might blame God. How might we fall into that temptation to blame God for our sins? What are some of the faulty ways that we might think that would lay the blame at God's feet? I wrote out a few examples here for you. That's great. That's one of my examples. Exactly. Yeah, God made me a person of passions. That's just the way he made me. So if I fall into sin, it's not my fault, right? And let's just look at modern contemporary culture. That's one of the things we hear now from modern contemporary culture is that with respect to the sexual revolution is God made me this way. So this is not sin because God made me this way. So, so what's the problem I don't mean to pick on you, but what's the problem with that thought process? 
It's excusing what? It's excusing sin. That's right. It's rationalizing away sin. It's blaming it on God. So how about this one? For those of us who believe in the sovereignty of God and the doctrines of grace, this quote, God is sovereign. He brings adversity into our lives. We believe that, right? We believe God is sovereign. We believe that everything that happens in this world happens because of his good grace and his sovereignty, right? You don't get sick, but that that was God's purpose and his plan and part of his sovereignty, right? Everything that happens, the adversity that comes into our lives, God has a purpose and God brings those in, right? So he brought adversity into my life. In times of adversity, I'm tempted to act ungodly. So that's the key, right? That happens. Those times when we do have these trials and so forth, we are tempted sometimes to approach them in an ungodly way, to lash out in anger or to lash out in unbelief, right? I'm tempted to act ungodly. If I yield and do this, I will sin, right? Therefore, think about the logic because this is the way our brains think, right? God is the source of my temptation, Okay, you understand that? The way we might think? It might not be that in the moment we think quite that logically, right? But that's the way we think, isn't it? That's what goes through our mind is God is bringing this into my life. I'm tempted to sin. It's not my fault. It's God's fault. He's the one who's bringing this into my life and bringing this temptation in. If I fail, it's God's fault because he led me into this temptation. Or if you want to summarize it even more in a shorter verse... This is from the old Scottish man, Robert Johnstone. God has ordained all that comes to pass. He has therefore ordained that I should yield to the temptation under which I have now fallen. So again, the problem with that is, is it denies sin. It shifts the blame for sin. God doesn't force us to yield to sin. We yield to sin because we sin, because we give in to those fleshly desires within us. So think about all of this because James is going to counter all of these arguments towards the end of this passage. This is how we might think about God and James is gonna correct our thinking about the true character of God. He's gonna start in the last half of this verse now by talking about, about who God is. Let me turn back to James here. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. So you understand, in order to tempt someone from, with evil, evil has to reside within you. That's the nature of Satan, right? Satan is evil personified. Therefore, he tempts people. But what do we know about the character of God? <clears throat> and this is the important thing God is teaching us. What do we understand about who God is? What did what did God say to Moses when Moses stood before him at the burning bush? What did he tell Moses to do? Because he is on holy ground. God is holy. And what did Isaiah see in Isaiah chapter 6? When he saw the vision of heaven, he saw the seraphim, he saw the Lord God. What were they singing to, to the Lord God? Holy, holy, holy. God's character is pure. It is undefiled. It is absolute holiness. No evil 
dwells within our God, none whatsoever. And that's James's point here is, God can't tempt people to evil. God is absolute, pure holiness and righteousness and justice and goodness and wisdom and truth. That's who our God is. It's impossible that God might tempt us to sin because the temptation would have to come from someone who's evil, from someone with whom, in whom evil dwells, and that's not our God. He cannot tempt anyone. He can never be the enticer to sin. God allows temptations to come into our lives. Let's just say that right now. God and his providence may allow, but he will never be the source of those temptations. God allowed his son to be led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness that he might be tested and that Satan might tempt him. But God the Father did not tempt his son in the wilderness to sin. It was Satan who tempted him to sin. It was Satan. And how did Jesus, let's just jump right ahead, how did Jesus deal with those temptations in the wilderness? Through scripture. And we're gonna come back to that in a moment. It was through the power of the word of God that Jesus dealt with Satan. Jesus lived as a man, a perfect man. We go back, we were talking about about Adam and Eve in the garden. We have to understand this. Jesus was fully God. Jesus, he is, not was. Jesus is fully God, God the Son, second person of the Trinity, fully God. He shares in all the divine essence with the Father and the Holy Spirit, right? But he's also fully man. They're united together. They're not mixed together. That's what our, the scriptures teach us. There's no mixture of the human and the divine natures. Uh, he lived on this earth as a man and he lived under the power of the Holy Spirit. That is why he can go to the cross and he can bear our sins in his body on the tree because he felt those temptations, although no original sin dwelt in him. He was not fallen, yet he felt all of those bullets of temptation that Satan shot at him every minute, every hour, every day. He felt them and Jesus Christ himself fought in the power of the Holy Spirit with the word of God, instantly putting up those defenses against Satan that he might not fall into temptation. So, but he was, God is not the source of the temptations that Jesus felt in the wilderness. Temptation is an impulse to sin. This is from Douglas Moo. And since God is not susceptible to any such desire for evil, he cannot be seen as desiring that it be brought about in man. So God will not ever be the source of your temptations. You must understand that, that's the key. If you are tempted to sin, it's not because of God, it's because of you. And that's what Paul is going to teach us. Since God is not the source, let's look at verse 14. What is the source of our temptation? But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by what? His own lusts, yeah. And the, another translation of that word is fleshly desires. And we talked a lot about the flesh in Galatians 5, didn't we? And let's just stop right now and say, Paul taught us that we are not slaves to sin, right? We are not slaves to the flesh. Let's just keep that right in mind as we talk through all of this. Right up here at the top of mind is we have the ability to say no to sin because though we live in the flesh and we're not yet fully sanctified or glorified. <clears throat> we have the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. The bonds and chains of sin have been broken and we have the ability to say no 
to temptation. We have the ability to say no to sin. But it's always there. We all, we're living this life in the flesh and that can carry us away. In fact, this is interesting language that James is using. It's language that the Greek language comes right out of the language of fishing, right? And I fish, right? So I have to tell you about fishing because I'm a fly fisherman. Actually, I brought one of my fly fishing boxes here. I have many of these boxes of flies. And you know why that is? Because if, how many fly fishermen, any trout fishermen here in the audience? We have a few, okay, just a handful. So trout are beautiful, beautiful, beautiful fish. And they eat the mayflies and the nymphs and all the things that come up out of the stream, right? But when you're fly fishing, you have to know exactly which flies come up out of that stream, exactly which color and exactly which size. That's why fly fishermen delight in having 25 boxes of flies, right? But the goal is to deceive, right? The goal is ultimately to deceive the fish, right? <laughs> it is. And it, it's, it's always kind of interesting, Tim may know this, but, but you throw the perfect cast out there and the water is, we call it gin clear, and you see your fly floating down the stream and the trout will rise up to it. You can see them rise up to it and they'll just start floating backwards down the stream and they're looking at it thinking, is this the real thing or is this something that's not real and then they'll just flip the water and go away and you're thinking oh I can't believe it or if you're just right and you've gotten everything right they'll grab that fly and take off and then you can set the hook and catch the fish that's exactly the way sin works right the fish has a desire to eat that's his whole desire he has a desire to survive in the stream we have fleshly lusts and desires within us and guess what? Satan knows how to manipulate those, right? He has many boxes of flies. He knows how to deceive us. He knows our weaknesses, right? And he knows, each and every one of us know what we're susceptible to, right? I mean, I know what I'm susceptible to, what temptations I'm susceptible to. Satan knows too, and he knows just often the right fly to throw in your pathway to hook you and to bring you in and to capture you. So this is how he works. We have the appetite. He has the right flies, but we have to have the appetite for sin. We have to have the fleshly desires and he hooks us and he catches us. Temptations and occasions for sin don't put anything into a man, but they only draw out what was in him before. That's a good quote. So. It's not as though Satan puts sin in us either. Sin dwells in us, and that's what we have to deal with. But he knows how to exploit the sins within us, and that's what James is teaching us. He carries us away. Verse 15, then when sin has conceived, it gives birth. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So this is the cycle of sin. This is the cycle of how Satan carries us away. And I think it's important for us to think through this. It's, it's as though James, we would say, slows everything down and says, sin comes from our fleshly desires within us. And then let's just see how all of this works. Let's just see exactly how sin operates and that it draws us into ultimately spiritual death. It's kind of like the slow motion or some of you in your businesses talk about root cause analysis. Anybody talk about that in your businesses? We have a problem. We've had some event happen or whatever. 
So let's go back and look at all the roots. How did this happen? What were all the factors that contributed to this? And that's what James is doing this for us here is, is a root cause analysis, basically. How sin happens. So lust takes root in the mind. Let's think about a couple of events in the Old Testament. What's, what's one of the major events we see where someone fell into sin and it caused major disaster in their life? David. David. Turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. I think God gave us these examples for a reason. And we're going to talk about Joseph in a moment because Joseph also is the example of temptation where everything slowed down and Joseph was able to stop that in the, in the bud. But David didn't. 2 Samuel 11.1, 1. Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him. Now, people have made a, a big point, an important point. David should have gone out with Joab. He should have gone out to battle. But David didn't, and he made himself vulnerable. Something was going on in David's life there. And all Israel. And they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Reba. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now, when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David, David sent and inquired about the woman, and one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? And then you know the rest of the story. David sent messengers. David had Bathsheba brought to the palace. They had an, an immoral sexual relationship, and what came out of that? A child came out of that who, di- who died. Um, but there was a moment, there was a moment, was there not, when David was walking around outside the palace and he saw Bathsheba, there was that moment when before sin conceived, when it was in his mind, there were desires. Surely there were desires in David's heart, right? There were fleshly desires in David's heart like we've talked about. But what could David have done at that moment? We know what he did and what was the outcome, but what also could David have done? He could have gone back inside. That's exactly right. He could have resisted temptation. He could have done the right thing, but he didn't. And David gives us the perfect example of what James is talking about here in James chapter 1. Lust conceived. So David thought through. We know this is how sin operates. It doesn't matter whether it's sexual sin, whether it's sin to lie, to cheat, to steal, whatever. We're tempted it may come in a flash too, right? This may come just like that. We may not have but seconds, but we have to make a decision, don't we? And David, we don't know how long this went on in David's mind, but we have to make that decision at some point what we're gonna do with this, right? Well, David chose not to, and it rolled around his mind. David, as we know, thought about probably what he wanted, the sin conceived in his mind, and he carried out all the operations. Look at Genesis 39, though. I think this is the contrast that we have to learn. Genesis 39, the story of Joseph. I'm just so grateful God gave us this story. You know that Joseph was in Potiphar's house, and I won't read the whole story to you, but... um, 
Potiphar's wife, tempted him time after time. And it came about after these events, I'm in verse seven, that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. And he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. This is, this is the response. This is the, this is the verse we all need to memorize. This is the arrow in the quiver, right? How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? That's the response, right? That's the moment. And what happened? You know what happened. God tested Joseph through this because Joseph ended up in prison. Now, we know the blessing is Potiphar probably had figured out what was going on anyway because Joseph otherwise would have probably just lost his head, you know, for this. But Joseph went through many trials. But God, this was all part of God's purpose for Joseph's life, that Joseph might become second to Pharaoh but God tested Joseph. And this is an example where God allowed Joseph to be tempted. The source of temptation is not God, but God allowed it. And Joseph passed the test. So this is the great contrast to David the king, right? In that moment, Joseph was able to say, I cannot do this thing and sin against God. So brothers and sisters, I have to tell you, we have to think about this. How then do we fight those moments of temptation? How do we fight those things that come into our lives? What are the tools that we use? Confession and repentance. Confession and repentance, that's right. In the moment, what do we do? Just like Joseph, what do we do in the moment when temptations come and we want to fall into sin? What do we do? We flee. That's great because Joseph fled and he left his garments in her hands, right? Literally, he fled, right? We flee temptation. We don't dilly-dally. I often think about temptation is like, you ever see the cat, the cat who's, who's toying with a mouse or something? We toy with it, right? We, we toy with it. We do that in our minds, don't we? And if we do that, it's going to take root. But that's great. We flee. And what else? What are the tools God's given us to fight temptation? Justin. Yes. Yeah. That's a great answer. All the things that God has given him, because that's exactly what James is going to say in verses 16 through 18. We reflect on everything that's good that God has given us. Because sin is a deceiver. Sin is not the real thing, right? God has given us the good gifts. Let's talk about sexual morality the, the Proverbs say, rejoice in the wife of your youth. God has given us marriage. God has given us a covenant relationship to enjoy those things in that bond. That's where we enjoy it. He's given us good gifts. That's where we enjoy all of those things. We have to remember that, that there's nothing good that he's withheld from us, but sin is the counterfeit. Sin is the deceiver and the perversion of all of those good things that God's given us. Great, okay, so we've got resist, flee, what are the other tools in the moment that we have to resist temptation? Tim. What about fear of the Lord? Fear of the Lord. 
That's right, knowing who God is, that our God is a consuming fire, that our God uh, hates sin. We have prayer, good, prayer. Oh, Tim, prayer. That's right, we pray to God, we build that relationship with him. It builds our love with him, doesn't it? It builds our knowledge of him and understanding of him and his goodness. When we pray and we have that relationship with God, that's the true food for our souls, isn't it? All this other stuff is just junk. There's one other big thing. Maybe we talked about it. Scripture. Scripture. That's right. The Word. Good, Jim. Good. The Word. That's why Drew's got us memorizing Scripture in our small groups. That's why we all ought to be memorizing Scripture. That's the key because that's how the Lord fought temptation, right, was through the Word. Yeah. Through God. Yes. 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 And you have to have that passionate relationship with God, that passionate love for Him and for the Savior. Because when you do, you understand sin, dis- sin cuts off that relationship, sin damages that relationship we have with our Savior. But the Word of God is key. I think of the Word of God as like arrows in the quiver. Literally, they're arrows in the quiver. You have to have those memorized. And let's come back to say, back to the fly fishing box and Satan knows how to tempt us. We know the things we're susceptible to, right? Memorize verses that deal with those things. Men, you ought to have it right at the tip of your mind. How can I do this thing and sin against God? I've made a covenant with my eyes. How then can I look on a woman to, to lust upon? woman I have been bought with a price you have to have all those verses boom 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 right there right that when Satan comes you just in your mind in the moment you just start quoting those verses you know they're powerful they're powerful I just encourage you to do that to have all of those right there on your hip you know like the arrow in the quiver that you can shoot those darts of God's word back to Satan and fight against temptation good so Yeah, did, did everybody hear what Galen said? The more you draw on scripture, the more you draw on prayer, the more you're walking with God, and the more you overcome in those temptations, the stronger it makes you. That's exactly right, Galen. That's exactly right. So you have to take courage. If you're fighting temptations, you have to be encouraged that if you fight those temptations by the word of God, and what does 1 Corinthians 10, 13 say? Can somebody look up 1 Corinthians 10, 13? Somebody may have that right there on the tip of their mind. Yeah. Yeah, no temptation has overcome us, but such as is common to man, right? And God will give us the strength and the power to overcome them. That's right. 
No temptation. It doesn't matter what it is. There is nothing new under the sun. That's another thing we lie to ourselves about, right, as temptations is, this is new. This is unique with me. It is not. (laughs) It's been happening for thousands of years, right, the same thing. And you know what? God is there, right? God is there to give you the power and the strength to overcome that temptation. So that's what we have to know. The other thing I want to encourage you with again is if you've fallen into temptation, back to what Galen is saying, you do not be discouraged. You have to understand our God is a forgiving God. You come to him in repentance and confession. God is a forgiving God. I, I love Luke 15, the story of the prodigal son. Jesus, you know, the star of that, pro- of that parable is not the son. It's the father, right? It's the father. It's the father who runs out to meet the son and to welcome him back and to forgive him. That's the way God is. T- Jesus was teaching us about God. So if you've fallen into temptation, you've fallen. It's never too late. It's never too late to break the cycle of temptation, to break the cycle of sin and come back to God. So... You have to understand that. But this is that cycle. If we have that fleshy desire, if we allow it to roll around in our mind for seconds or months or days, it will result in sin and it will bear fruit and it will result in spiritual death. We know what happened in David's life. Now, we also have to remember the final epitaph on David's life that that the Lord God said he was a man after his own heart and he walked in all of his ways except in the thing with Bathsheba. You know, but there is forgiveness with God. We have to understand that. But it does result often in great consequences in our life. So the other thing you have to remember about temptation is temptation itself is not sin, right? Luther said, Luther's great quote is, I can't stop the birds from flying over my head. But what? Anybody know the rest of that quote? but I can keep them from building a nest in my hair. (laughs) I love that quote from Luther. I think about that a lot. Temptations are like the birds flying over your head, right? You can't keep them from doing that, but you cannot let them build a nest and root themselves in your hair. Being tempted is not sin. Yielding to temptation is sin. This is a good quote from Douglas Moo. He's an outstanding New Testament commentator. Christian maturity is not indicated by the infrequency of temptation, but by the infrequency of succumbing to temptation. So just know, I mean, sometimes it discourages us. Do do you ever get discouraged with the temptations you face? We do, and we have that tendency. And I think Satan tries to discourage us through that, that why are you being tempted so much? Temptation is not sin. Understand that and have hope and confidence in that. We can resist sin. So now James is going to talk about the good gifts as he finishes this passage, the good gifts that God gives us that we might be able to overcome temptation in verses 16 through 18. Verse 16, do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures. 
So James starts with verse 16 that we, a command, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived by all that Satan may tell you. You know, we've just, he's just been talking about that, that Satan may tell you the source of your temptations or God. Uh, James, I think, begins these verses with that command not to be deceived so that we won't think that all of this is coming from God because that's not the truth. That's contrary to the character of who our God is. And now James is gonna teach us who our God is. Our God gives good and perfect gifts. Verse 17, every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift from above is coming down from the Father of lights. That is, you, you know how many times Jesus taught us in the parables about the goodness of God and all the good things. He said God will not withhold good gifts from us, from his children, and God gives us everything we need. He gives us even the rain that waters the grass and waters our fields. He gives us every good gift. That's in contrast again to sin and temptation because they are deceitful. They lead us to death, but God doesn't give us those things. I think it's interesting he uses this phrase, the father of lights. So what do you think he means by that, the father of lights? What does, what does the word lights make you think of? hope yeah that we see light as truth right we see that a lot in in the gospel of john the contrast of light with darkness the psalmist said in psalm 27 1 the lord is my light and my salvation he is our truth he leads us in the light right so god again the contrast to sin and temptation god is a source of light he's a source of truth he's a source of spiritual health that all comes from god actually the word James uses here is photon in the Greek. It's actually that word for, for light. And, and it probably also refers to, in fact, just the heavens too, that God is not, it may refer to both things, but God is also the father of everything, all of creation. He made everything there is. Yeah. Yeah. There's a great hymn, a phrase in a hymn, only the darkness of light hideth thee, right? That's who we think about. God dwells in unbelievable light because he's pure and he's holy. But that's who he is. And that father is the one who gives us everything that we need. He is the father of light. So this is part of James's deep theology right here. God is the author, the source of all truth, of all light, of everything there is. He's also the father of creation. He created everything, everything there is, God created. Just think about that. That's the God you have a relationship as a believer. James also goes on to say, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. You know, even the heavens, even the universe shift, don't they? We have stars that flame out, but even the, even the universe is on rotations but God doesn't change. So what doctrine is this? When we say God doesn't change, God's immutability, who said that? Oh, awesome, that's God's immutability. That's one of the big 50 cent theological words. But again, this is James's deep theology. He's building all of his encouragement to you as a believer not to fall into temptation on who God is, his character, the very essence of who he is. He is immutable. And why is that important that we know God does not change. 
Yeah. Yeah, did you hear that? He's given us everything. He's faithful. He will not change. He will never renege on his promises, right? Consistency. That's right. God is steadfast. And how is that in contrast to sin? Oh, Natalie. Yeah. Yeah, Natalie said that he never changes. The right answer is the right answer. God is consistent in everything he does. That's right. His truth never bends, it never changes because he never changes, right? But sin always changes. It always shifts. It's always a new permutation, right? I think this also uncovers the temptation we have to think that we came to the answer mm. to our temptation, that we provide the good gift that left us free from the sin we were going to step into. Yeah. It, it uncovers that we are not even capable of the good and perfect gift that was given to mm-hmm. us That's very good. So we didn't create the way out of the temptation. It's not from us because that's kind of what self-reliant modern man does. It's from us, right? It's from us, but it's not. This is from God. So so he's immutable. He doesn't change. He's the creator of all things. And he gives us the greatest gift, James finishes this passage in verse 18. In the exercise of his will, talk about that. What is that? The exercise of his will. What doctrine are we talking about there? What God's sovereignty, that's right. God's, this is some of James's deep theology. In the exercise of his will, all things happen by his decree, by his will, by his plan, by his purpose. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. So what is James talking about? He brought us forth by the word of truth. What did he create? What did he bring forth in us as believers? Salvation. This is new life. God created the heavens and the earth. God also, by the power of the Holy Spirit, created in us new life. We are a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We are a new creation. God brought us forth by the gospel, by the power of his word, that we might be, as it were, first fruits among his creatures. Think about our place also in God's God's creation, you know, there's going to be a day when there'll be a new heavens and a new earth and we will be the crown of that new heavens and the new earth. In fact, all of creation moans and groans. Romans 8, 18 through 25, all of it groans until the redemption. But someday, think about this good gift. We will reign with him. We will reign with Jesus Christ. We will reign. That is something that should give us hope and joy in these temptations. That's the point James is making is, Think about all of these things that God has done for you. He's given you new life. He's given you hope of reigning with him. All you need to overcome temptations. So let's talk about some applications. So we can resist temptation, right? 1 Corinthians 10, 13. We don't have to succumb. What do we learn in Hebrews 4, 18 about Jesus? Towards the end of Hebrews 4, Jesus was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. We have to understand that we also have a faithful high priest. He knows. He's been here. He's felt the fiery darts of Satan, and he prays and advocates for you. You have a friend in Jesus. You have someone you can go to in time of trial and temptation. 
And there is forgiveness. We talked about Luke 15. Temptations are going to come because we're living in the flesh, but we have the ability. We don't have to give in to temptation. We can say no. God is good, he is unchanging, and he is sovereign. We can fall back on his word and his promises. And we profit by knowing the temptation cycle. So understand how you get led into temptation. Again, we all know our susceptibilities. We all know how we get led into temptation. And when you see those things starting to happen in your life, the Word of God, you need to be in prayer, you need to be walking with the Lord, but have the Word of God ready to break that temptation cycle. Temptations really do test our love for God, but what can we fall back on according to James at the end of this passage. What can we fall back on and convince ourselves of that helps us resist temptation? God's good gifts, right? We can fall back on all of those good gifts and we we have to preach to ourselves, right, the truth often. We have to preach to ourselves all that God has done for us. The greatest thing is giving us his son. He who spared not his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not also with him freely give us all things? So we have to fall back on that and realize that's the greatest gift that God has given us. Well, let's pray and let's end this lesson. We're at the end of the hour. Lord, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the rich teaching of James. Lord, as we go through studying the book of James, build us, build us closer to Christ. Lord, help us to overcome temptation. Teach us about your character. Make us like your son. God, we yearn for that. We're in a world of darkness, and you're the father of light. God, may the light shine forth from our lives. Oh, God, may it shine to a world that needs it. God, give us patience with our families. Give us patience at work. Give us joy. Give us a testimony to all those around us. Lord, bless our worship this next hour and bless again our mothers. Thank you for our mothers who've given so much for us. In Jesus' name, amen.